0: Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents, you're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by R.J. Bates III. Here's R.J. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, R.J. Bates. Today, we're sitting down with Mike Wagner. Mike, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thanks, RJ. How are you?
0: Doing fantastic, man. So uh, today is episode number 45. We're uh, quickly approaching our one-year anniversary. So I appreciate you sitting down and taking the time to share your story with us. Uh, Why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us what it is you do in real estate investing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first, I want to thank you for having me on. I always love the opportunity to talk shop with like-minded folks. Um, I've been investing in real estate. I guess makes me feel old, but just over eleven years now. Um, back way back when in two thousand seven, I was a working my day job as a physical therapist, and I I enjoyed the day-to-day stuff, but also knew that there had to be something more to this life of aside from punching the clock and and slogging away day after day. So I, I created this plan to acquire 100 apartments that each made me $100 a month. And uh, at the time, the age of 24, that sounded like an awesome life to me. And, and parts of it are still very appealing to me, but um, essentially I set out to, to accomplish that goal in the evenings and weekends. And 2007, I bought my first duplex your typical Midnight Guru special, no money down, seller financing. I fixed it up, put some tenants in it, and um, went back to the bank and refinanced, pulled my investment out, a little extra profits, and and hung on to it for the cash flow. And then I I rinsed and repeated that several times over the next four years, and uh, at one point in about 2010-2011, I realized I kind of recalculated and I realized things didn't work out quite as well on uh, in the real world as I had in my head. And so my new plan was going to be one hundred and fifty apartments and because it took me three or four years to get up to thirty one, i I got a little discouraged and thought, well, listen, I can't do this again for another ten years before i I have enough income to get out of my day job, so something's got to change. and Uh, I'll spare you the the personal story, but I was on vacation with my wife in Costa Rica, and I had this epiphany that um, I was just fed up of people telling me how often and how long I could be on vacation for, and and so on the beach there in paradise, I decided as soon as I get home, I'm changing something, and if I'm being honest with you, I got home and I kind of went nuts. I, I dove into everything I could to accelerate my escape from the rat race, and and that's when I stumbled on self-storage. and Really, I haven't looked back since. I I quit my job the day before I closed on my first storage facility back in 2011, Um, and we've since transitioned all of our energy into buying underperforming self-storage facilities and getting them turned around.
0: Awesome. So, the multifamily that you were taking down before then, did you sell all those and liquidated, or do you still own those?
1: I hung on to them for a while because they were, they were all making me money. So I wasn't in a fire sale situation um, and I needed the income they were generating as I, um, cause I had quit my day job and, and lost all of that income. And the first storage facility I bought was actually losing $2,000 a month when I took over. Um, so I wasn't really in a position to liquidate anything else that was making me money at the time. Um, so I hung on to them. looking I'm thinking it was probably two thousand fifteen or so. once my I really saw the writing on the wall that storage was what I wanted to do. Um, I started to liquidate some of the properties, and then that really accelerated in the past eighteen months or so i've I've since sold off all of my residential apartments.
0: okay. So, let's talk about self-storage. and uh, what what about that strategy drew you to it and made you make that leap of faith and leave your career and and make that the sole strategy that you're going to utilize in real estate investing?
1: That's an excellent question. And you know there's a lot to unpack there, but um, generally speaking, I knew that I could take what I had learned in residential real estate and apply it to the renting of garages. The underlying concepts are all the same. All, you know, all you're doing is um, owning real estate and renting of it at a rate that exceeds your cost to own and operate. Um, but it had a lot of advantages. My, I had a lot of challenges with residential apartments just from a—and um, these are, potentially shortcomings of myself. I know there are a lot of people that do it very successfully, but the, there were so many things that caused my blood pressure to uh, elevate beyond healthy levels. <laughs> Chasing people for rents and dealing with you know, late night repair calls and all those sorts of things. So storage offers offered me an opportunity to take what I learned, but it eliminated a lot of the headaches you know nobody lives in storage units so i don't have to worry about evictions they're made of concrete floors and metal walls roofs and doors so um, repairs are much fewer and far between and then you look at the underlying financials and they're just simply put stronger from a income to expense ratio when we look at storage typically speaking our Operating expenses are going to be in the thirty percent range. So for every dollar we bring in in rent, we're going to spend thirty percent of that on uh, on our operating expenses, and that's that's far more favorable to the industry standards that you see in multifamily and 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 so we saw that. We looked at the default rates on storage relative to basically every other asset, um, real estate mortgage-backed asset on the planet and saw that storage facilities default less often than anything else. So we knew there had to be something in there that we liked and ultimately what it came down to is I found a deal where I was able to answer with a very high level of confidence a couple key questions and those are, what's wrong with this facility, right? We, we, and I should back up and tell you, we chase facilities that are underperforming and therefore undervalued. Um, I'm not interested in curb appeal and pride of ownership and turnkey or anything like that when it comes to storage. Uh, we want 40, 50, 60% occupied. Um, and so when we find those deals, we one, as I said, identify what's broken here. And if we can identify what's broken, the obvious second question is, can I fix it? If And there are some things we can fix, you know, neglectful management, um, somebody inherited it so they just have no idea what they're doing, or, you know, there's all sorts of things that could be broken, uh, expenses that are out of whack, all those types of things, and and, and, of course, there's other things we can't fix. If, if it's in the middle of Flint, Michigan, and and right there's a mass exodus of folks <laughs> from the market, and there's just too much storage and not enough people, clearly we can't fix that, and we're going to keep looking. Um, but when we found this deal, it was very evident to me that it was a case of mismanagement, and I was very confident that we could fix what was broken. And, essentially, I was I was confident we could double the value. Of the property, and and I knew it would take two to three years, um, and I was comfortable with that. As it turns out, we actually doubled the value in under nine months.
0: There you go. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I've I'm by no means an expert when it comes to self storage, but I've dabbled in it a little bit. And the main thing that I've <clears throat> excuse me taken away from the analysis of self storage is is that. You want to find one that's underperforming, but you want to find the core reason why it's underperforming is something that you can change. Like you said, really, location is important. You want to make sure that there's a need for self-storage in that location. And that's the reason why it, it has a low vac- uh or a high uh, vacancy. And, and not it's, hopefully, it's because of poor management, or like you said, someone inherited it, and they just don't know what to do with it, but not because it's in a bad location, correct?
1: That's exactly right. We're, I'm well aware of my limitations when it comes to uh, fixing the unfixable. and right. And uh, an oversaturated market is, is not something that we can fix, or a location that's just, it may be that the market's not oversaturated, but from a geographic Standpoint, the facility has a strategic disadvantage, meaning it j- might just be half a mile further than a top notch competitor who's on top of his game. And it's very hard to get someone to drive past a relatively decent run facility to come to your place without getting in, involved in a race to the bottom and a, a commodity pricing war, which is not something as an investor you're ever looking to do.
0: Right. So. What markets are you in and because of your ability to run these at a low overhead and there's not really a whole lot of hands-on management, are you able to expand to other markets pretty easily to find just a solid deal compared to, I only find deals in this very specific market?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question and I'll uh, I'll answer the first part by saying I per uh, specifically like to focus in what are known as secondary and tertiary markets. So I don't want downtown or city center, the three-story Class A type facilities. I much prefer to work in suburbia and, and even rural um, markets. And that's a somewhat a personal preference. Also, I think there are some strategic advantages to doing that. The towns are oftentimes more favorable to um, expansion and that type of thing. Uh, and the second part of your question, I think you're touching on, you know, can you do this remotely or do you have to be in your back your right. uh, backyard to do it? And it's an excellent question. If you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said, well, I own one an hour from home and that's as far as I think I'd recommend. But uh, I'm very happy to tell you that I've since discovered a incredibly efficient remote management structure. Um, it's kind of me piecemealing two or three different vendors together, um, along with some boots on the ground, that have really opened up a nationwide market for me now. I still only focus on secondary and tertiary markets, but our most recent project is over 1,100 miles from my house. I'm in New York, and it's down in uh, northern Florida.
0: Awesome. So when you do that, when you go to a remote location, does your overhead increase slightly? You know, it
1: doesn't, believe it or not, and I shouldn't say that. There's potential that it could, um, but it hasn't for me, and and this might just be circumstantial and maybe uh, coincidental, but the three pieces that come together for a remote management success are um, an online, not just presence, but rental portal, so that Mm -hmm. RJ, if you pulled into my storage facility down in Florida, there's a sign that would welcome you rather than a person. And it would say, hey, sorry we missed you. Jump online here at this website or call this number and we're happy to help you move in right now. Um, So we've got that online portal where people can rent and electronically sign an agreement as well as make payments. And then we've got a call center in place as the second piece of the puzzle where uh, for folks that aren't interested in doing that online, or not comfortable, they can call and speak with a person. Um, and it's not a generic call center or specific to the storage industry. And so the customer service they offer is every bit as good as I could offer personally if I were answering the phones. The last piece of the puzzle, and, and I think this directly answers your question, is you do need boots on the ground no matter... Um, how good those remote management structures are. There are people that are going to want to see a unit before they rent online, or you're going to need a lock cut or something to that extent. And you would think that that would increase your operating expense, but in both of the facilities where I operate 100% remotely, we have living quarters on site and someone who lives in on the property offering 24-7 security. And I give them a discounted rent in exchange for being available to do those boots on the ground tasks that I need every so often.
0: Okay. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And I I think unique that, that I haven't heard somebody say that before, but um, that that's kind of similar to the idea of like a smaller multifamily you know complex. You can have an on-site manager that you know lives on site that you give free rent to and, and things along those lines. So is that a is that a strategy that you kind of took from your multifamily background, or is that something that you just kind of figured out in the self-storage game?
1: Yeah, I didn't.
0: In my rental
1: portfolio, I didn't have that type of setup, so it is new to me in the storage world. It's more common than you might think. A lot of facilities um, come Mm -hmm. with manager's quarters. Um, I wouldn't pretend to know exactly what percentage, but um, two of my three do, so (laughs) take that for what it's worth. The the point I want to make, though, is it's not necessary to have those living quarters on site for this strategy that I've developed to work before I... Um, had someone living on site at my most recent project, what I did is I contracted with my landscaping maintenance company, the gentleman who mows my lawn and takes care of the parking lot, cleans it up and does all that stuff. I brought him on to do the uh, kind of after hours calls for whatever might happen um, and to do the routine tasks. Once every week he walks around and makes sure that The units that are supposed to be empty are empty and that there's um, you know each unit that is empty is fully rentable as opposed to having someone's trash that they left in it Um, so he can basically send me that that lock audit which we call it and i can reconcile it with the online portal and as long as everything matches up then we're good to go
0: gotcha so let's, you know, for the people that are listening and they're like, this sounds great. Let's talk about how you're financing these properties. You're going and you're buying something that's underperforming. So how are you taking it down when it's underperforming? And I'm assuming once you've stabilized it and you've got it up to the the criteria that it needs to be at, then you're refinancing out with a, a more traditional means of financing. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and, and what I'll do, if you don't mind, is I'll run through my last three deals because they kind of show a evolution of how I've been financing things. Yeah, that'd uh, be great. The, the first one I purchased, uh, we did, I, I, again, I was exiting the rental portfolio world, so I had some equity I could scrape together. Uh, we bought the property, total acquisition cost, including closing cost, was 350000 So I scraped together 40000 in equity of my own I borrowed sixty thousand from a private investor, and then I got a traditional bank loan for two hundred and fifty k to round out the the purchase. And I'm not going to pretend that it was easy. I got five nos before I got a yes from a bank. Right. And, and uh, you know, a lot of their objections were, "Well, you're quitting the only job that's paying you any money right now," and two, you don't have any experience in self storage. Um, so I really had to lean on. My rental portfolio experience and and convince folks that those skill sets would apply here. Um, and then it was just persistence. Uh, nine months later, we were full at that location, and we started to seek funds to refi. And and that took even more trips into the bank because I didn't have the seasoning I needed to really have a strong case. But ultimately, we did get the appraisal at seven hundred and fifty thousand, and I was able to pull half a million to fund our first round of expansion. And we've done that a couple times since. Um, So essentially, we we used a combination of my equity in a rental portfolio as well as uh, some private money in order to get started. And then we have transitioned into where we're strictly with a conventional loan product in place on that
0: one. Gotcha. And when you talk about expansion, are you actually developing additional units to the location that you bought?
1: That's exactly right. Our first the first property I was just speaking about that we bought was 10,000 square feet when we bought it and we're now at 30,000 with approvals for another 15,000 square feet.
0: And when you purchased that property and you did the original analysis, did you take in the account the ability to develop on it and add those additional units? Was that always part of the plan, or was it kind of stair stepped as you owned it?
1: Awesome question. Uh, my mentality as I go into any purchase, and this was even true on the first one, is it needs to make sense as it sits. Right. I don't. I don't pretend to be. Um, you know, to be able to see the future and know that existing demand will be there i I can certainly do projections based on the market conditions and that sort of thing but i am as far from a speculator as, as there is i think and so what i look at is as it sits today if i just fix what's broken is it worth double and if that answer is yes then i also look to okay best case scenario could we conceivably add more and fill it out? But I never use that as a deciding factor when I'm going to pull the trigger on a purchase.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, when we've done analysis on, on these kind of deals, it's exactly what you're talking about. We analyze it as, is this a good purchase if we don't do any development at all? And are the numbers going to be able to cash flow? And are we going to be able to do the equity pool? And then we look at, okay, let's look at, almost as like a second deal the the dev- development side of things and is there a need in the market because just because you have the the ability or the size of a lot to do expansion does not mean that that market necessarily demands that you have that many storage units so the last thing you want to do is take a 10,000 square foot complex and make it a 30,000 square foot complex and there's not a need for 30,000 square feet of uh, storage unit so uh, that's the other part that we look at very very closely and uh, it sounds like you know especially with the markets that you're choosing that's a an important part of your analysis is making sure that there is a need for the amount of storage units that you're going to have is that correct yeah you're absolutely
1: right and and that fits very well with my investment strategy, especially now that I've transitioned to using more private investors for my purchases. Um, it allows me to underpromise and overdeliver. When I when I put together, for example, on our most recent property, my investment projections were to stabilize the property over a four-year period. Um, and in order to do that, we needed to move in two people per month for four years, and that would take it from a half-million-dollar property all the way up to a million-dollar property, just about. Mm-hmm. And that was my promise to my investors. In the month of May alone, we had 20 net move-ins on this property. So wow. um, we're a 10x as far as our projections go, and it's this, just as you were describing, if in this time period we're able to stabilize the existing twenty-four thousand square feet there are two acres there for expansion but i didn't even tell the investors about that they'll be very pleasantly surprised when they find out there's a second round of funding open to them in the
0: future right and that's that's the amazing thing about this strategy is that there's a way for you to acquire properties and make them great deals as is but then you can develop on top of it and and really like you said 10x your your opportunities there um so moving forward um kind of where do you see your business going here in the future and and kind of you know you've got this nationwide or ability to take this nationwide you know how are you how are you like locating these deals and and marketing for these deals or do you have other people bringing them to you
1: that's a good question, and, and my answer might differ from a lot of folks that might be in more of a growth phase than I am. Um, you know, I've got two young kids, and and they're only young for so long, so I, I place a high value on, on spending my time home with them. So I'm only allowed, this is a self-imposed rule, to chase one facility at a time. Right now that one's in Florida, and um, in a year or so I may be ready for a next one, but I would never take on two at a time. So. To answer your question about where this is going, we still have our marketing campaigns out there and we direct mail to facilities that meet our criteria. And um, I'm also launching a training program where I basically partner with folks, uh, helping them find deals, whether it's one I hand feed them or just coach them through the uh, farming and acquisition purchase and then the takeover and implementing my strategies. Um, That's kind of where the future is going is I'm going to be helping other people do what I've done with storage um, and they'll be uh, more of the doer and I'll just uh, lend what I've learned over the last seven or eight years to shorten their learning
0: curve. That's pretty cool. So on that, when you when is this program already rolled out or is it going to be something that you're rolling out in the future?
1: It is it's something that I've done um, for people in my direct network before. It's not something that I've uh, made open to the public, if you will, and I am it, literally this week um, starting the beta test for the uh, website rollout and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's imminent, I'll say.
0: Gotcha. And when, say, you have a student and you – Walk them through the process, and and you find a deal for them. Is this an ongoing joint venture agreement, or is it just a a, a, a small fee that they pay you, and and they have the, all of the equity?
1: Excellent question. And a way to structure it, my preferred way is what we do is um, we do have an upfront fee as well as a monthly fee, and and that really just addresses, and I'm sure you have experienced this before, the fact that. Unless someone pays, they're not going to pay attention, right? Absolutely. So um, yeah. I, I need skin in the game uh, so that folks will do uh, what we set out to do. I think far too often storage can be a shiny object for somebody, and they get real excited about it but don't fully commit. And so uh, that upfront fee takes care of that part. And then there is a, a back-end equity, a very minor equity stake that I take in only the first property that they buy.
0: Gotcha. So my my last question before we kind of get around to your why is are you noticing nowadays that the sellers of storage units understand that they have that shiny object that everybody kind of desires and are making the values of those properties, they inflate the values of those properties and want a higher price point than maybe say a couple of years ago?
1: That's an excellent question And, and generally speaking, Absolutely, the price um, of facilities has increased, and we're at or maybe just past a peak, and so we could be sliding down. I don't think it's going to be any sort of uh, recession type, but we might be um, softening a little bit in the market. The big thing to remember about storage is that it's such a micro-market industry that, to be honest with you, I don't care what's happening with nationwide trends. Um, you know, I bought a property two months ago and, and people are always saying, well, it's such a seller's market, you can't buy right now, wait it out a couple years. I paid $19 per square foot for a facility that would have cost 35 a square foot plus land to buy at the quote unquote peak of a market. So the deals are definitely out there. This industry does have an overwhelming majority of the assets within it owned by mom and pops who don't have the level of sophistication um, that some other industries do. So the deals are out there. It's just a matter of, of putting in the work to find them.
0: Right. And the thing that I've noticed is, is just in the very small amount of conversations that I've had with those, you know, quote unquote, mom and pop shops is, they don't really understand how to keep track of their numbers. They don't have very strong books on them. And they don't even really know how to analyze the deal that they already own. They they don't know if they have a good deal or not. They just know right now more money's coming into the bank account than it's going out, and so that must mean we have a good property or a, a good setup going on. And uh that's kind of shocking and surprising, you know, where uh but I, I guess not. I guess it's no different than just a, a single family landlord, you know, a lot of times they don't fully understand um, how to analyze their deals or not either so it's a right. very interesting uh kind of small niche in the real estate investing world so uh, let's let's talk about your why so you know you've left your your career you're you're starting you know now you're building up your portfolio you're starting your education program what is the the reason why you do all this and what's your why
1: yeah absolutely and and beyond a shadow of a doubt my Uh, my why is my family my wife and kids and and um i just feel so blessed to have stumbled on and figured out this storage thing Um, it's it's enabled me to have what most folks would or describe as an incredible life i our bills are are paid and our needs are met and we live relatively modestly but we travel 60 to 90 days a year um we drive an RV across country. We fly to Florida three or four times. We hit every national park. And, and to me, life is just too short to slog away day after day, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week in hopes of maybe someday retiring. And so my big why right now is not only to continue to embody that lifestyle and show my kids that there's a better way to live than what society would have you believe, uh, but also to help other people understand that and, and introduce them to the idea. Um, because I, I, at risk of sounding cliche, it's incredibly sad that the normal life is one where you don't have control over your time and you have to quote unquote vacate it with a vacation in order to feel free. I, I believe we should feel free the vast majority of the time rather than for two to three weeks a year.
0: Right. I completely agree. That's, uh, that's why I'm doing the bucket list that I'm doing on Facebook. Um, every day I'm uh, announcing something new that I want to have on my bucket list to kind of remind myself of the reasons why I work so hard um, within my company. But also to kind of remind myself that I, you know, every now and then you need to, to enjoy the life that you're currently living. Don't always work on creating the life that you want to live, but actually just live it. Um, because I think we can get lost inside our businesses and, uh, constantly wanting to grow. So, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, I had Steve Cavanaugh on here. He's your, your buddy. That's how you kind of found out about this podcast. And, uh, so the past two episodes, it's inspiring to me to have people on here that are creating businesses that are enabling them to live the life that they want to live compared to, you know, the business always controlling their life it's you know they're they're living the life that they want so that's uh, very inspirational and i appreciate you sharing that um for the listeners out there that want to contact you and uh get in touch with you or maybe even talk to you about uh coming on board with your coaching program what's the best way they can reach you
1: yeah if they want to find out a little more info they can um jump on facebook we're at storage rebellion on facebook and then um our My website is thestoragerebellion.com, and that's uh, uh, definitely the best. Those are the two best ways to get a hold of me.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, reaching out to me, and uh, I I always think it's awesome that uh, I have a guest on here that heard somebody else that was on the show, and then they're like, hey, I've got something to bring to the table. Uh, you're the first guest on here that's talked about uh, self-storage and 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 buying and owning storage units. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that knowledge and uh, that niche to the real estate investing market. And uh, wish you the best of luck with your new coaching program and uh, continue building that uh, portfolio to to live the life that you truly want to live. Awesome, well, I was happy to be on. Thanks so much, RJ. All right, Mike. We'll talk to you soon.